Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, November 6, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer for Cantor Managed ETF Portfolios. This is my weekly economic and market commentary. Uh, as a reminder, this is available via subscription where you get the visual, which is the slides, graphs, charts, but it's also available audio only as a podcast. You can tell any smart device to play the podcast slaying bulls and bears or play herb morgan's podcast that should get the trick done the presentation you're seeing and or hearing has been prepared by us Cantor fitzgerald investment advisors for use with investors and financial advisors who are each expected to make their own investment decisions nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice there are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities this is purely for informational purposes we had a fantastic week last week in equity and fixed income markets. Some people might even call it a pretty good year. What would cause that to happen? Black all the way across, everything was up. Uh, Year-to-date numbers very solid across the board with the exception of long-dated treasuries. Well, it was uh, a, a confluence of data, a Fed meeting, and a realization that the economy is definitely slowing. Why would a realization that the economy is definitely slowing lead to a big rally in asset prices? Well, because it means that the Fed is very uh, more, li more likely than not, they are done raising interest rates. In fact, as I'll show you as we go on, futures markets are now uh, pricing in interest rate cuts in 2024. And that was the broad relief rally that the market experienced. The other part was, well, the market was just down. It was oversold. Um, uh, the RSI was down in the, in the low range. The market had a little snapback rally. And it was a pretty robust one, as you can see, last week. Let's get into some of the data and give you a better idea of what I'm talking about. Let's start with employment costs. Employment costs gained 1.1%, uh, up 4.3% from a year ago. Wages and salaries up one2 up 46 from a year ago. But you can see that the trend is definitely lower. One of the biggest drivers of inflation, and therefore the driver of the need for higher interest rates, because higher interest rates combat inflation in the Keynesian demand side model, uh, has been wage and price and wage inflation. So as wage inflation begins to come down, that's a sign that the Fed's action, actions are working with that lag, that long and variable lag. Moving into some residential real estate data, we got the FHFA, Federal Housing Finance Authority or Agency, house price index. It was up six tenths of a percent. That was a little bit more than expected, up 4.6% from a year ago. That's really not showing much inflationary relief. And neither is the Case Schiller home price index, which was up a little over 1% ahead of expectations. Uh, and that is up 2%, 2% higher um, than it was a year ago. Moving on to uh, Chicago PMI, the Chicago PMI for October was relatively unchanged, came in at 44, the estimate was for 50, anything above 50 is expansion, anything below 50 is contraction. You can see since early 2022, manufacturing sector in the Chicago region has been in contraction. Manufacturing has been slowing and slowing considerably for some, some time. Consumers are not particularly optimistic either. Consumer confidence fell again in October from 104.3 to 102.6. That was a little better than expected. 
present situation fell, expectations fell. Why? Consumers are telling us it's rising prices and inflation, also the political situation, the geopolitical situation, and the impact of higher interest rates on spending and investing habits. Let's get into the big monthly PMIs. We got manufacturing and services from both S&P Global and ISM last week. S&P Global, which you can see has been in this manufacturing low-grade recession for over a year, uh, got back to break even here, came in at 50, 50.0, exactly right in line with expectations. But that's the S&P Global. ISM says, no, we're still in this manufacturing recession and was kind of a big, sharp drop down in October. Fell from 49 to 46.7. The estimate was 49. New orders in contraction. Production still growing, but barely. Inventories were the lowest level since 2012. And employment went into contraction here. And I'm going to come back with a fair amount of employment data here in just a couple of minutes. And this is one of the reasons that, as I said, the market really rallied on, on this. So this is slowdown data. Slowdown data is disinflationary data. Moving on to the services side, uh, S&P Global PMI for October uh, rose to 50.6. You know, this 50 line of delineation, so not big expansion or contraction, little, I guess it's expansion, but modestly so. ISM number is down, but still an expansion. Uh, 53.6 came down to 51.8, a little bit below expectations. Remember, the manufacturing is about 15%, roughly, of the U.S. economy. Services sector is about 85% of the U.S. economy. Employment here fell to just above that line, right? So contraction would be, if it continues, right, it goes below 50 uh, that could be a bit of an issue. We got construction data, construction spending data for September rose four tenths of a percent, right in line with um, right in line with estimates, up eight point seven percent from a year ago. Automobile sales nationally annualized pace in October fifteen and a half million, a little bit down, still nowhere near where we were sort of pre-COVID, you know, that north of 16 million, solidly 16 to 18 million annualized pace. We just still haven't recovered uh, from, from that. Factory orders in September up 2.8 ahead of expectations. Orders backing out transportation, which can skew and they're very volatile. If you look at both, up eight tenths of 1%. Here's where the data starts to get interesting, not factory orders but jobs and labor. We had two big jobs reports last week, plus the weekly, plus the jolts, and all of them are telling a similar story. Now, housing and rent, owner's equivalent rent is a big part of the inflation calculation. Energy is a big part of the inflation calculation. But in the end, a lot of it's done, a lot of it has to do with employment costs. So employment costs go higher for businesses, prices then go higher for consumers. They pass those costs on to consumers. Let's start with the JOLTS report. Uh, we've had far more job openings than unemployed in this country for a number of years now, and we still do. But the number of job openings has steadily declined from about 12 million coming out of the pandemic uh, to, as you can see here now, 9.5 million. That's a pretty big drop, very significant drop, and it shows a waning in the demand for labor. However, as I mentioned, 
number of unemployed to the number of openings still very, very high. So there still is inflationary pressure. It's just waning a little bit. Then you start looking at initial jobless claims. As I say all the time, below 300,000 is a fairly healthy jobs market. Therefore, it's still a fairly healthy jobs market. Weekly unemployment claims very low at 217, a little above expectation. That's nothing to be alarmed about. But we are starting to see the continuing claims number rise. And that, you know, maybe I'll start adding that as a graph maybe next week or something. But going from 1.7, 1.78, now we got 1.81. And we're seeing these continuing claims start to rise. But remember, this: the Fed has this dual mandate job, right? The job is you have to contain inflation, but you also have to foster this environment for full employment. And if they conflict, which master do you serve, right? And is it the inflation mandate or is it the, uh, the employment mandate? Well, this next slide, this productivity and unit labor cost data that we got from last week, they say that productivity is up 4.7%. 4 what it really means is that unit labor costs are coming down. And as labor costs come down, because that supply demand dynamic has changed a little bit, there's more people in the unemployment role, there's less openings in the JOLTS report, that is disinflationary. And that gives the Fed sort of this okay, we're achieving our goals, we're getting some of this inflation out of the economy. And of course, the last thing they want to do is tip us into recession. So now we start getting into, well, what are the odds that they continue to hike? What are the odds that they then they don't hike at all or that they begin to cut? This one is a big, big drop off in unit labor costs. The inverse essentially is a big increase um, in productivity. Then we got the two national employment reports for the month of October. First one was from ADP. This is a private sector company that actually does payroll, so it's pretty good data. They say private payrolls in the country grew at only 113,000. Well, for a country the size of the United States with net population growth, uh, 113,000 is not all that hot. That's showing that the labor market has cooled considerably. It was well below the estimate of 150,000. And kind of low, like the September, that's back-to-back -back ADP employment reports that aren't so hot. And that's good news, isn't it? Is it bad news? Well, it's bad news if you're trying to get the job. It's good news if you're trying to focus on seeing inflation come down and therefore the end, the potential end, of Federal Reserve rate hikes. Confirming the ADP report was the government report, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is the monthly employment situation report, we saw a couple of things. First of all, the unemployment rate rose for the first time in a very long time, from 3.8 to 3.9. That's still healthy. That's still good. It's still a strong jobs market. But we also here saw 150,000 when the estimate was for 180. And that's down from almost 300,000 a month before. But originally, September the month before, was reported at 336. So that's 36, 39,000 jobs we thought we had that went away. And then so we got 150 instead of 180. That's another 30. That's about 70,000 jobs we weren't expecting to not have. Um, manufacturing declined 35,000. Unemployment, as I mentioned, rose to 3.9%. The other thing is gains in average hourly earnings, which are the big driver of inflationary pressure, uh, are abating. Average hourly earnings rose two-tenths of a percent in October, expected to be three-tenths, 
still up. I mean, they're still up 4% from a year ago. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying inflation is whipped. I'm not saying we're in deflation. But the disinflationary data is mounting. And that sends the message to the Fed that, hey, these policy actions you've taken are working with that long and variable lag. We're at 5.5% on that Fed funds rate. Speaking of the Fed and speaking of the Fed funds rate, Fed met November 1st. And as expected, they left the federal funds rate unchanged at five and a half percent. But one of the things I look at is I look at what the odds are for hikes and or cuts in future meetings. This little chart here uh, shows future meeting dates. The last meeting of this year will be on December 13th. And the market is still pricing in a very, very slight chance, 16.8% chance of one last hike, uh, or it was rather on October 27th. But as of this morning, those chances are going further lower down to only 9%. A 9% chance of a hike is essentially no chance of a hike. That number have to go a lot higher, a lot quicker to get a rate hike on December 13th. We'd have to have very hot inflation data uh, as an example, or you know, we'd have to ignore all this cooling data that we see coming from uh, the labor markets. If you look out further, the January meeting went from 11% chance of a hike to just six, essentially zero. And then starting in March, the odds begin to favor cuts. And you can see how the odds of the cut are rising. It went from 17 to 28, 46 to 52, 51 to 59, 58 to 60, 56 to 65. So now the preponderance of market participants are anticipating rate cuts next year. I mean, think about it. Um, the U.S. Treasury is going to have some very significant trouble uh, make, meaning, making debt payments with these higher rates. Um, the economy is cooled, so the rates can come down. Inflation expectations are coming down. Break-even expectations uh, for inflation data are coming down. And last week, the entire yield curve shifted down. So the, the, we've got the 1027 yield curve, which is the brown, still you know inverted, at least in the, in the early here, right? And then it sort of normalizes before going down again at the 30 year. That's probably a supply issue out there, to be honest with you. Uh, but the whole curve shifted down between October 27th and this morning. We see that big downshift and then Here's an amount of those down. No part of the curve went up in the last week. So interest rates really, really uh, came down on this Fed sort of recognition that, hey, we're having some success. Uh, perhaps we don't need to hike rates any further. Uh, the Fed also put out their statement, as they always do. I like to look at the side by side, look at where things have changed. They hadn't changed much last, last month, really, or last meeting, really. Uh, on the subject of economic activity, September 20th, they say, has been expanding at a solid pace. November 1st, expanded at a strong pace. I don't see much difference between those two, but they did consciously make that change. Financial conditions, tighter credit conditions for households and businesses are likely to weigh. And then they added um, financial to financial and credit conditions are likely to weigh. So they are seeing financial conditions start to tighten, which would be a disinflationary pressure, which would, which would lessen the need to hike rates to contain inflation. 
And now there's, there's an awful lot of talk about this earnings season. I'm switching gears now, moving into earnings season. It's essentially towards the end. The, the companies that matter the most, the big tech names, and the big financial names have, have reported. Um, and there's some guidance down, and it's not the strongest earnings season we've ever seen. And we know that generally there's more companies that beat that don't. But consensus earnings estimates aren't rolling over in any sort of big way. Uh, U.S. households are not selling stock. Uh, so yes, when you compare stocks to, you know, a 4.6% 10-year U.S. Treasury that's risk-free, um, 4.6% looks good. There's no question there are alternatives today, but I don't think this is anything that says wholesale sell-off stocks, massive recession coming, massive deleveraging coming, any of those things that would cause stocks to go down considerably. Stocks have come down, they have corrected, they got to the 10% correction and they rebounded aggressively. Um, could they go back and test it? Sure, they could. But you know, as an investor, I invest for you know, at least five years, maybe more, I'm investing for my retirement. And I think stocks are reasonable to own for the long-term right now. And for the first time in a long time, bonds are very reasonable to own as well. Light week in economic data, nothing today. Trade deficit consumer credit on Tuesday, nothing Wednesday. Jobless claims expected to be at 217 again. And then consumer sentiment on Friday. Last week was really the big week, folks. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, you'll talk, you'll hear from me again in, in one week. Thank you. Bye-bye.